Amen. Have your seats. Let's grab our Bibles. Do y'all, are y'all okay with intimate worship? I, I hope you'll get into a practice of this in your life to where you will get time alone with God that you just spend that time chasing him. And you don't have to chase him. He's, he's with you. But to where you get a thought process that instead of chasing your worries and your fear is chasing a better relationship, a deeper love with God. I, I uh, was invited this past week by Pastor Chris to go to a speak conference at Louis Giglio's church in Atlanta. We were there Thursday and Friday. And I mean, I, uh, I really, I, I, I don't know. It was going into a, a, a conference on the art of preaching. I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. Um, and, and in all honesty, you know, I, I was like, I, I wonder what these people are going to tell me. Like, am I preaching wrong? Am I doing this wrong? That's my mindset. Because a lot of times when God gives us opportunity, we immediately go and start examining ourselves to see if we're able or, or, you know, what's what I'm too weak. I don't deserve to be in the same room as these people. And, and all these things start going through your mind. Anybody else like that? You go to put a work application in and you immediately say you're not going to get the job. Right. Come on. You know, we got we got introduction to music coming up for anybody that wants to join our praise team on April the 30th. I think it is last Sunday of the month. And um, if it's not April 30th, it's whatever the last Sunday of the month is. And some of some of the teenagers have been saying, well, I want to I want to sing, but I, I'm scared to sign the list. What are you scared of? I'm scared of being rejected, and how can God reject himself? I mean, if God's put a talent and ability in you, do you think he's going to say, I put this in you, but no. You're made in the image of God. Is God going to reject himself today? And in there, he's calling us to great things. So I'm saying that to say all this. This morning, I spent some time on the phone with my wife. My my youngest son is sick again, and uh, so they're at home. Be praying for him, and um, it's, it's, it's treatable. It's just that stuff that goes around, and it's, it's in him, and he's little, and so we don't want to expose you, and we want to keep him safe. And so she's watching online, I'm sure, so shout out. Um, but I called her, and I said, you know, um, what's really cool is there's been seasons of my life to where I go through, and I'm like, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? Like, God, tell me what you want to say. Tell me what you want to say. I told Pastor Chris, the best season of my life was the season of my life that I wasn't preaching. And I know that sounds terrible, but I'm talking about my personal walk with Christ. Because in that season, for the first time in eight years prior to that, I sat down with the Bible and a journal, not trying to come up with a sermon, but just trying to let God speak. And I have never preached a sermon out of that journal. And I literally, out of, I think it's a 300-page journal, it's full of all the things. Not one thing in it is my thought. Not one thing in it is anything I came up with. It was literally a season of three months of just saying, God, you speak and I will write and not write for somebody else. I I was preaching six different sermons a Sunday, nine different sermons a week at that point in my ministry. And literally what I found is my devotional life with God was mostly spent coming up with the next sermon more than just sitting there and saying, God, let's have some intimacy, quality time, just me and you. Let's listen to you and, and let's soak you in. I'll tell you this now, if you are not in a journal type devotion style, and I'm not saying there's technology now, you can speak to your voice memo, you can type it in your phone, I get that. But if you are not sitting down with God and just writing things God's speaking to you or putting things into remembrance that God has spoken to you, I promise you, your your relationship with God is hindered. Um, There needs to be an intimate time. And you're like, well, I don't like to write. Well, then just start recording your voice saying the things that God's speaking to you. Because if you don't, you will forget it. Uh, we literally heard this. The average memory span of people right now is 45 minutes. That's not attention span. That's memory span. If you, if you hear a sermon in 45 minutes, you'll forget it. 
If there's not something in it that we repeat again and again and again, or a catchphrase that'll get you to remember, 45 minutes, you'll forget it. And so I'm going to challenge you, like I challenge our teenagers to bring their Bibles. I'm going to challenge you to bring a notebook. Uh, Get your phone out. I know that sounds weird, but uh, get your phone out and start writing things down. But I have been really convicted this past week because um, uh, Christine Kane, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of her. Um, How many of you have heard that name? Christine Kane. It's a speaker. I'm telling you right now, um, there is fire uh, of a Holy Spirit in this person. Um, And and she got up and she unapologetically preached about the need of the gospel and how we have gotten away from it in our churches and and, and how we we don't even talk about hell anymore and people don't remember it. Y'all remember our text last week in, in Mark chapter number 16, where it said that when Jesus rose from the dead, the soldiers stood petrified as the light came out. They fell to the ground as they saw this taking place. They were as dead men, the Bible says. They got up, they ran to town, and immediately the Pharisees got together the elders of the church and said, we're going to give you money to not tell the true story, and this is what you're going to say. You're going to say that the disciples came in the middle of the night and that they stole his body, and the Bible says so they did it they took the bribe and it's still told to this day now i know that was written it's told to the day that it was written but it's actually still told in israel today all right and so understand this we've said it if if, if satan can't defeat christ he will cast doubt on him and so the method of satan changed in this moment to where he could not kill him and keep him dead so now i'm going to make people doubt the existence of god there's where evolution comes into place there's where our gender crisis comes into place is because we're doubting the goodness and the example of god i told pastor chris i'm working on a sermon um, and i don't know if it's going to be for our youth or i don't know if it's going to be here. I was sitting the other day drinking out of a water bottle and I saw on the back of the water bottle this warning label that said if misused could cause death. I'm like, it's a bottle. It's got a life-giving resource in it that is water. And in it, it says if misused could cause death. And immediately God says, that's what we're doing with our sexuality. That's what we're doing with our bodies. It's a, it's a good thing. There's life-giving resources in this thing. There's life-giving resources. And let's be honest with you. I'm looking around the room. We might have some young ones, so I apologize. We do offer children's church. So this is the big boy room, right? The big girl room. And so we're going to talk in big girl and big boy terminology. There, there is a reason God gave us a penis and a vagina, and it's to recreate. It's to make something, to reproduce And you say, I'm offended, and you saying that in church. Go listen to what your kids are listening to on the radio, and then come at me. All right? Go listen to the words they're hearing in their music, and then come at me. Because they're hearing way worse from the world. God gave us sexual organs, but those are not our love organs. We teach our kids, your love organs are your eyes and your ears. When you look, you validate. When you listen, you validate. Your mouth is not a love organ, neither is below your waist. What validates people in your life is the willingness to pay attention and to learn and understand. And we're living in a world that's saying, do whatever you want to do with this body. While Timothy wrote, Timothy said, nothing is more dangerous to your body as a sexual sin. And now we got people saying, hey, you may not be a boy. You may not be a girl. And you know what that is? That's Satan coming into modern times and trying to discredit that there's a God in the universe that has a plan for your life. Your gender is a part of his plan. Warning, if misused, it may cause death. 
And when we say, when we say amen, the truth is, is every one of us is guilty of some type of sin, right? And there's no hate towards people that have that confusion. There's no hate towards the homosexual crowd. By the way, if this ever gets, this would be my most viral clip and they'll leave that part out. We have no hate because Romans 1 teaches us that these sins are bad. They transform your mind where you, you actually get into a lifestyle where you're abandoned from God and you can't hear God. You can't see God. You don't recognize God, but that's any sin. And then in Romans 2, it says, before you think you can judge those people, you are just the same. And I look at that and it's like, oh, wow, my little lie in God's eyes is the same as adultery. My little, my little, hey, laziness. We never talk about that one in church, do we? My laziness is the same as witchcraft. You're saying, what? Hey, sin is sin. It's sin, it's sin, it's sin. And all sin sends us to a separated relationship from God. And so that brings us to what we're going to go to next in our story time series. In repentance, I come with this message today. I looked up how long it's been since I preached on hell. And literally April 15th, which was yesterday, I believe, marks eight years since my last sermon on hell. If you want to go check it out, we have a podcast on our Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N you can follow Grace Community Church, you'll find this April 15th of 2015, a whole nine-point series on eternal realities that we preached. I called my wife and I said, you know, we cut into this story time series. Simple question was asked on a Sunday morning because I saw scrunched faces and squinted eyes when I brought up the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And when you see that expression on somebody's face, by the way, when you're talking and you see this, stop talking. They don't understand what you're saying. Go back and clarify, right? And so I asked that question. How many of you were here that Sunday? How many of you have never heard this story? How many of you were here when I asked that question? 70% of our, our church that was totally packed. And I know we're two services now. And, and, and look, there's still a great crowd. And I'm, I'm pleased. And you say, well, why do we do this? Because... Uh, look at the seats around you. Those represent the lost people that are going to come to Jesus this year, right? So let, let, let's be excited about that. That's what it, we needed to make room, make room, make room for those who need the love of God, right? And so instead of going and building $2 million buildings, which was the last time I got an estimate for an auditorium that sat a thousand, it was $2.2 million. And I was like, no way are we wasting God's money on our comfort. We will pack this thing out. And didn't Howard do a great job rearranging this thing this morning? Don't you love it? I mean, it's really cool. You can get to the bathroom very quick. No, but the thing is, is listen, and we, we, we got flow back there for you to minister. I just pray where, where Cindy is standing, that this is ministry wall, right? Like this is where you can get relational. This is a place to pray with people and grab them and take hold of them. It's a place to pour your heart out. Now we got that space because Howard came in here with a tape measure and a vision, right? And so we're thankful for that. And, and thank God for people that keep dreaming of how to better our, our ministry and, and God's ministry here. But as I looked at that, I realized that, wow, here I started a story time series and didn't go back to the story that we were inspired to start it with. And I've been running from this, all right? And so let me repent and say I'm sorry. In my mind, I wish I'd have done this when we had the 400 per service, 300 per service, and all these other things um, in one service. But we're in two, so God knows. Maybe we have more than that come through the doors today. Who knows? But a, a, as I look at this, we need to come to some realities in our life. And so we're going we're gonna to revisit an old series. I've never done this in my ministry. Um, but I cannot escape it, and I cannot sleep, and I want to go to sleep, so I'm going to surrender to God and do what he's calling me to do. Are you okay with that? So I'm hoping today results in some type of early bedtime, because I've been obedient to what God wants to say. 
Go to Luke chapter number 16, if you would. We're going to start in verse number 19. I'm going to give you several verses through this series I want you to take note of. Um, and this is Jesus talking. Um, and and I, want, I want to give you something. If you're new to your Bible study and you're learning, you got to start looking at the Bible, not black and white. You've got to start looking at the Bible from the way of which God is presenting it and how Jesus tells it. And so you'll hear certain things. The Bible says in, in, in the New Testament, that, and we heard, learned this from Levi Luskow, that, that Jesus never taught without parables. Parables are stories that used to, to kind of illustrate a point. Uh, how many of you have heard the story of the farmer and the seed in the Bible, right? And if not, we're going to get there. Don't worry. Okay. Um, how many of you have heard the story of, of, of the, the guy that gave different talents to different people and told them, I'm going away. I'm coming back. I'm going to get my talents. And, and how did you use God's investment in you? It's a really good thing. And if not, we're going there. So don't worry. We're going to hit this. Uh, I think God has brought us back to basics because we have programmed God out of our churches. Uh, I, I, what was his name? Um, John Tyson said a statement that really is echoing in my mind that the American church is the first church in ever to, that has been able to have church without God. And, and, and it's got to change. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. And he said, we've become program dependent, which led to a conversation that Chris and I had, uh, Pastor Chris, that, 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 you know, in the end times, which I feel like we're getting close to, we're probably already in, we just don't know. And, and they have felt like they were in the end times from the moment Jesus ascended. Just let, let me tell you that. And, and, and by the way, you should live with an urgency in your faith to think that Jesus could come back at any time. And what an exciting thing to think about. What an exciting thing to think that we're going home one day. This is all going to end one day. And one day I'll see my grandmother again and you'll see your loved ones again if they know Jesus Christ. I'm not going to preach the lost into heaven, but I will say that there is a heaven that we can introduce the lost to the Savior that can get you there. And, and the understanding that we've got to have in our lives is this, that there is a day coming to where our programs will not matter, but what will matter is the truth of the gospel. It's coming back to the gospel. Have you noticed that? Anybody else had an itching or like a desire lately in your personal walk that you just want to know a little bit more meat about God than to just be entertained with God. Has anybody else felt that urgency? Yeah. Is anybody else feeling that pool? That you say, I just, I, I, I don't want to just go to church and kumbaya and go home. I, I, I literally want to know him. I want to know him. I want to love him. I want to walk in him. I want to focus with him. I want a David type mindset that when I show up to the battlefield on Monday morning and Satan's standing there in my offices or in my home or in my school screaming and blaspheming in the name of God that I'm not going to go into hiding because I believe in the God that can slay the giant. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do the things that God has called me to do. I don't want to raise a church of believers who don't understand the word of God because we gave you four self-help points, but we never gave you a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that would radically change your life. We don't need entertainment. We need real. Anybody else? Yeah. Hey Amen. All right, so let's go. The truth is this. Number one, write it down. You and I were built and designed to last forever. Look at this. We're going to read the story. By the way, I was telling you, this isn't a parable. A parable never uses names. A parable uses, there was a farmer. There was a king. He uses illustrative lingo, but never personal names. This is a real story. It has real life names in it. And when you see real names in the Bible, it's something that has happened. Isn't that a cool little cheat sheet? So if I'm reading the story and it has the names of the people involved, real story. 
If I'm reading and it doesn't ever have a name parable or analogy that God is using. Analogy is when we use, you see me do these all the time. How many of you were here when Libby was stacked up with all the Legos and they fell down? That's an analogy that's showing you something. A parable is a story that might resonate with something you do in your life to illustrate a purpose. The father and the prodigal son. Parable, we don't know a name. This one is real. You know why you need to know that? Because a lot of people want to call it a parable because they want to pretend that hell does not exist. And hell is real today. Just as real as heaven is, so is hell. And so it says this, that Jesus, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Uh, Can I tell you something right now? I oftentimes wondered why God gave us the name of Lazarus, but did not give us the name of the rich man. You want to hear the truth of what the Holy Spirit showed me? All right, here it is. This is my belief. I'm not saying it's grounded. I can't go get you a verse. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me. Ready? Because if you live your life without Christ, your name doesn't matter. Your existence is separated from him and your identity is totally lost. You were created to be in the image of God, absent of God. You are nothing. From nothing you came, dust you came, and dust you'll return. Tragedy. The tragedy is to be able to be identified by what you had on earth, but not have an identity after earth. You and I were made to last forever, but absent God, that forever is not good. Are you with me today, church? So look what happens. I'm, I'm crying so much I can't read. I'm going to try to use the screen. It, it, it says, this, this poor man, go back to verse number 19 if you would. And this kind of flowed with me. Jesus said there was a certain rich man. Fine. He was in luxury. He, he, he had the life. He had everything. Look at verse number 20. In verse number 20, it says, at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus. You know what I love about knowing his name? Because even if you are broke, dirty, nasty, and ugly on this earth, if you've got Jesus, you have an identity, you have a purpose, you have a forever home. All right, and so look at this. He says, Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As if his life wasn't bad enough. You ever had that day? Anybody else in the room ever, ever got to the place where you're like, man, can it get any worse? I'm already broke, and now I'm hurting. You know, hey, the the, the affair has happened, and now there's a health crisis. Now there's a financial need. Hey, the the drugs have taken everything from me. Come on, who's in the room? Who's been there? You know, it's like, hey, you know, here I am. Life is already bad, and now it's just like I'm getting kicked. Hey, the world's always going to kick you around, but God's got angels that are going to raise you up. Just keep that in your mind. Yeah. All right, and it goes around and it says, uh, he, 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 as Lazarus laid there longing for scraps from the rich man's table. I like this. Hey, you, you might be getting scraps from the world, but you got royalty in heaven. I, I'm going to get all off track today. This is such a beautiful story. The Bible says that the dogs would come and lick his open sores. I, I have a sore on my arm that's been there for a few weeks. Don't get freaked out by me, but um, it's kind of the reason I haven't been wearing short sleeves because of my pride. And now it's like, who cares? I mean, God's kind of stripped me down in the past few days. And, um, and so what do I got to lose? I called finally a medic MD live yesterday, telehealth appointment and told him what's going on. And they're like, do you got a dog? Yep. That's where you got it. That's what they said. And I was like, gross. I'm like, gross. And you're like, how did I get this? So you need this, you need this, and you'll be fine. You know, as I was sitting there, I was thinking about this message, and I was reflecting on it, and here's a dog licking a sore that's, hey, you know, kind of nasty. Dog's mouth is not the cleanest thing, and um, it's the only ointment this guy has, but in the soul, he has a healing. 
I'm going to tell you this right now. Listen to me. Write this down. Christians, stop trying to find the comfort of the world. There's a good chance you'll never find it. If you're pursuing God, there's a good chance life is going to be hard. It doesn't mean life's going to be bad. It's going to be hard. Um, and, and, and there's going to be times that you're going to get help from the most random areas and the most random people. What I love about it is when the pastors won't show up, the dogs will. Isn't that a cool thing? Right? That's, I almost titled the sermon that, but that's not what we're going at today. It's like when the church wouldn't show up, the dogs will. God's still going to send you something for relief. But God is more interested in what's on the inside than the outside. I got another sermon coming that my little girl gave to me. I don't know when God's going to let me preach it. Little preview. Sitting by her bed, my, her, her, her mom, Jordan, had told me that Canaan had asked a very deep question in the car. She's like, our daughter's getting deep. Um, so it was Easter. I actually got a video of it, and I went, and I got by her bed, and I said, tell me, tell me about Easter. And she said, God walked out of a tunnel. He's alive. I'm like, okay, that's all you need to know. God walked out of a tunnel. He stood on a rock. <laughs> so she said, okay, I like that too. Where you go? She's three. I'm not going to try to shape her theology, but we're going to, her mama's planting some seeds, and it's getting reaffirmed by her children's department. We're thankful for that. And, 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 and all of a sudden, she asked this question. If God is in our hearts, why isn't he in our brains? And I'm like, oh, girl, <laughs> you're going to mess up some people with that. And so here I've been on this two-week journey of, whew, why? you know why? We, we want God in our feelings. We want God in our emotions, but we don't want him in our process. And so there's a whole sermon coming from that. That's, I don't know. I got so many sermons brewing now. I went from this moment of like two or three months of depression to all of a sudden now it's like a floodgate. And I don't know when God's going to get it all out. So we'll throw it into one sermon, end it by 1030, leave you confused, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When the church won't come, the dogs will. When the rich people won't come, God will still send something. Verse 22, finally, the poor man died, I like this, and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. Pause. Let's stop. The Catholic religion builds a whole theology here called purgatory. All right? Can I tell you this? I want you to write this down. Things that are real, heaven and hell, things that no longer exist, purgatory. Are you with me? You say, well, this is what I believe. That might, that might shake at the core what you've been raised to believe. I'm not coming after your religion. I'm coming after your heart. Because I don't want you led astray. Once somebody dies, you cannot pray them out, buy them out. You cannot do that. The, the Catholic Church makes millions and billions of dollars off of people paying penance to try to get their loved ones out of a place that does not exist. All right? Abraham's bosom, you say, what is that? Y'all remember that when Jesus died, the Bible said he descended in the heart of the earth and he ministered to the saints there. Um, and where was this that we were talking about? This was Abraham's bosom. This was what we would call paradise. This was, you say, well, why weren't they immediately in heaven? Because sin hadn't been dealt with. And the truth is sin has to be dealt with. And you say, well, they had sacrifices and the Bible says, but the sacrifices of bulls and goats could not satisfy God. There had to be an ultimate sacrifice. Why do you think it is? And this is deep, ready? Why do you think it is that when Jesus died, the dead in Christ rose, Matthew 27? Why do you think that happened? Because now sin had been dealt with and those that had faith and those that believed in God and those that had put their trust in him and made him Lord of their life no longer had to be bound by the keys of death, hell, and the grave because Jesus went to hell and kicked its butt and got them and brought them out. And now there's no longer a purgatory to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so understand that this has been dealt with. You got it? Say got it. Got it. All right. He says he was carried to Abraham. The rich man died and was buried. 
And the soul went to a place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy or have some pity, this version says. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. And I like how King James says this, for I am tormented in these flames. The Bible says that hell is a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of darkness. We're not going to get into what hell is today. We'll get into this later. Um, but I, I will say this. It's a place where the absence of God is, and that is terrible. That is what makes it hell. We talked about that a little bit last week too. But Abraham said, son, remember during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides this, there's a great chasm that separates us. You know what separates hell from heaven? The, the, the absence of repentance. The absence of acceptance of Jesus Christ as your living Savior. The truth is this, we are failing in our society because we're, we're failing to tell people that you will last forever. You were made to live forever. You were made from a perfectionist mindset. God created us in his image, in his image for relationship. We were created to live in Eden a place where we can literally walk with God and see God. By the way, if somebody says, I had, you know, God appeared to me, they're lying to you because if God actually appeared to them, they'd be dead. The Bible says nobody can look on the face of him and in his power and live. It's just not possible. There's very, there's two times in scripture you find where somebody was able to see a part of God. And each time they saw a part of God, they did not stay the same. But anybody that actually saw God touch the Ark of the Covenant was immediately killed. Why? Because you and I cannot contain the power of God. The universe could not contain it. Moses couldn't look at his face. The world couldn't handle his grief. When God's heart broke, every rock on the face of the planet broke. The sun did not shine. Everything changed. The power of God is way too vast for me and for you. But there's coming a day because of Jesus Christ that what God intended for us to have, Eden, a place of relationship and fellowship and perfection, a place where there's no sin, no shame, no need for clothing, no need for all these other things. Because we don't have impure thoughts. We don't have impure temptation. A place of perfection. That's how God created it. But then Adam and Eve took a bite. That changed everything, right? And uh, because of one man's sin, death passed on all men, for all have what? Sinned. The Bible says in the New Testament, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It also tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death is not you drop dead. Death is separation from God, a disconnect. And Abraham said, between us is a chasm. Between us is a separation. Over here, there's belief. But this belief didn't start over here. This belief started on earth. Remember, you had everything. But you didn't have Jesus. Now you have nothing. He had nothing, but he had Jesus. Now he has everything. We can't get there. How many of you are with me so far in this story? It says this. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham. God. Can I give you a statement that's very real? The greatest revival that's happening today is in hell. The biggest prayer service taking place today is in hell. You say, I don't believe that. Look, look at this. Please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's home. I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. God help us. 
that the church would have the heartbeat of hell right here before people wind up in hell where they weren't even supposed to go. God, help us that our hearts would break for our loved ones that we would pray, God, send me. And if they won't listen to me, send their coworker today. Send their teacher today. Send another student today. Send their boss today. Don't let them go through their life without an understanding of your love, an understanding of your desire to be in relationship with them. He said, send them. I have five brothers how many of you right now know of someone that you in your mind do not know whether or not they're saved or they're lost? Would you slip your hand up? That should be your heartbeat. That should be your desire. We'll get there. And Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, thank God we have a risen Savior. Then they will repent of their sin and turn to God. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to even someone that rises from the dead. It's simply saying this, we have to make our minds up. I I am tormented by the thought that maybe on Sundays we're preaching to people who don't even know if they're saved or not. We're trying to teach them how to live for Jesus without giving them Jesus. or, Or they're trying to walk in a spiritual life without ever having experienced God. And I'll tell you this right now. It's like giving you water and telling you to turn it into ice without telling you that there's a freezer you can put it in. And at some point we're saying, hey, here's a living, breathing word. Do something with it. But absent the Holy Spirit, this will not work in your life. Matter of fact, can I say a a bolder statement? Absent the Holy Spirit's help in understanding this word, this word will be a weight and a torture to you instead of a life-giving power. And you say, well, how do I get the Spirit? By giving God your life. By giving God your heart. And it's not, I need Jesus to get me out of hell. It's not, I need Jesus to save my soul. Yes, you do need a savior. But if you want to actually have salvation, you actually need to recognize that you don't just need a savior. You need a Lord, a living God that you're giving control to, that you say, I am out of control, can't do this. And anytime I take control, my life's power's out of control. So God, here's my life. I need a Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's in control of my life. He can have all of my life because without that, it does not work. And the Bible does not say in Romans, and please forgive me, it never says call on him as your savior. It says declare him your Lord. Now you might go back and say, well, my Southern Baptist upbringing, which I have, my independent fundamental Baptist upbringing, which I have, teaches me that I got to go through the ABCs, admit, believe, confess, and then ask him to come to my heart and save me. Can I tell you this? He saved you the moment he died. He saved you the moment he rose from the grave. Salvation is there. It is not something that you have to go get. It's not something that you have to earn. It's not something that you have to work toward. It's something that's already been provided. Salvation has been given, but it's worthless if you don't accept it. It'd be like me making all these cookies for the church today. How many of you actually went into the cookie room and got a cookie before service? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. How many of you like cookies? Raise your hand. How many of you did not get a cookie today? All right. With that hand in the air, hold your hand up. How many of you did not get a cookie today? You know whose fault that is? Yours. Because we had them. Am I right? And a lot of people, I get asked this question quite often is, how could a God of love send somebody to hell? He never has, never will. Truth is, he baked a cookie of salvation, put it on the table and said, you could have it. It's your choice whether you go take it or not. 
The Bible says, taste the Lord and see that he's good. So God uses food as an analogy in the Bible. Let's use it as an analogy in your faith. Right now, salvation is laying like a platter of cookies on an altar in that seat. It's the Holy Spirit that's coming up to you right now in this moment. Derek and saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. He's right. This is God's word. This is truth. You need this. Accept this. Receive this. And I know this brother has. He's given me his testimony. You need the love of God. You need the word of God. Listen, brother, give in, give in. Make me Lord. And either you sit there and say, I like cookies, but I really don't like one. Or you sit there and say, I need it. I want it. I got to have it. I'm taking it. And if you walk out of here and you leave the cookie on the table, it's not Wade's fault that you didn't get a cookie. It's your fault that you didn't take what was offered to you today. If you got it, say got it. All right. The truth is salvation's offered to everybody. By the way, the Bible says it rains. God's grace is not just for the saved. It's for the lost too. It rains on the fields of the just and the unjust. Can I give you something today? Some of you may just need this word. This might be all you need. Write it down. Ready? Here it is. The seed you plant on the ground needs the sun. Yes. But it also needs the rain. And the more rain you have on the seed you planted, the greater abundance of harvest you get. And the truth is that sometimes we're like, we don't want the storm. We want the life of Christ without the effort, without the hardship, without the persecution. But the truth is, the more it rains, the more it blooms. And I don't know about you. We've preached a whole series on this. Put one seed in the ground, you'll get way more than a seed back. You know why? Because God, I, I tell our Monday night class this, I'm going to tell it to you. Write it down. God works in multiplication. The enemy works in subtraction. God works in saying, I want to make this abundant in your life. And sometimes it takes a storm to get there. You know, when most people come to Christ is when he's all they have. They've tried everything else and he's all they got. The last resort. That doesn't have to be you today. Or maybe it is you today. Either way, it doesn't matter. He wants you. He loves you. You were made forever. Adam and Eve messed this up. They took that bite and they screwed up what God had intended. And by doing so, the body cannot go into an eternal state. Your body will die. Here it is, truth. The enemy went after the life of mankind, but he could not get the soul. I think we illustrate this in Job. Job is the oldest book of the Bible. Did y'all know that? The oldest story told in the Bible is Job. And the Bible says that the enemy showed up and started asking God, you know, Accusing the brethren, God said, consider Job. He said, you got a hedge. If you took down the hedge and I took all his possessions, he would, not, he would curse you. So God said, you can take anything, but you can't touch him. So he loses everything. I mean, it's a very cruel story. It's not a loss of he loses his, you know, Xbox One or, or, or he, he, you know, he loses his stocks. He loses his kids. He loses his servants. He loses his wealth. He loses his possessions. And even his wife wants him to kill himself. But you say, no, she doesn't. Why don't you curse God and what? Yeah, isn't that good encouragement from your wife? Hey, here's a gun, here's a bullet, get it over with. His friends came, what'd you do to make God so mad? I mean, this guy's in a bad place. We we tell our Monday night class this, you could be smack dab in the middle of God and still be smack dab in the middle of a war that's robbing all the natural resource, but there's still a flow of your life through God that'll keep you strong in the midst of the drought of life. 
And so all of a sudden, the enemy comes back and says, well, you won't let me take his life. You won't let me touch his body. So what does God say? You can touch his body, but you can't take his life. I, I, I firmly believe in my heart that that is an illustration of what happened in the garden. The enemy got to the body of mankind, but could not get to the soul. And God said, you can make this flesh and blood mortal, but you cannot take away the eternalness of God. And so you can corrupt the soul, but you cannot control the soul. God made you to last forever. In other words, let me say this. Who breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of living life? Who did that? God. Does God's breath have any ending in it? No. And therefore, you cannot get the pureness of the oxygen of the breath and the lungs of God and not be eternal yourself. You were made in his image to last forever. And every person you come in contact with is made in his image to guess what? Last forever. And while that should shake us at our core, that what we do in this life is not really what matters. It's what we do with this life that God has given us. That is what matters. It's not what we have. It's what we give. It's not what we become. It's what we allow God to do. This life will last forever. And the truth is, you will give an account for the way you used it. The good news is, to the believer, we'll give an account for actions, words, and deeds where God has used his son to give an account for sin. But if you do not have Jesus, you will give an account for your own sin. And you will be found guilty. And you will be cast into a place called the lake of fire. And you will live there forever. Because your soul is permanent. And I believe we have forgotten that in our churches. That's why gossip is so rampant in, in Christianity. That's why judgment is so everywhere. We forget that the finger we're pointing at, the finger we're pointing at, the person we're pointing at with that finger is loved by God and eternally will spend somewhere. somewhere. And the words you say and the things we do could determine the amount of God they experience. So maybe it's time for the church to mature. And maturity means we grow in love like Jesus. Which brings me to point number two. You were built and designed for relationship. What was Adam and Eve created for? Relationship. Adam was created before Eve for a relationship with God. Eve was created for Adam because even in perfection, we still need each other. You matter. You mean something. The cross echoes a message, and it's simple, that your life meant something to heaven. That God that created you was not a God that wanted to abort you or a God that wanted to leave you. Your life matters to God and he wants to spend eternity with you. He desires for us to be in the garden just like Adam and Eve were in the garden. You know what I love? The only symbolism of the garden that we find in heaven is the tree of life because where it was planted and giving eternal life, it had corrupted soil. So God took it and put it in better soil. And one day we will We'll eat of a tree of life that God intended for us to eat from that will keep us lasting for eternity. If you don't believe it, it's the only reason Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. It wasn't their sin. It wasn't their shortcoming. It was the fact that God said it cannot be like this forever. I mean, how many of you discipline your children? Raise your hand. Now, I'm not talking about how you do it. I'm saying how many of you love them enough that you correct bad behavior? You teach and you instruct and you point them in the right direction, right? The reality is this. God looked at us. I, I don't know. I don't want my daughter to be in the terrible threes for the rest of her life. And so in other words, I can't let her get everything she wants right now. Are you with me? 
I can't let my one-year-old, my nine-year-old get everything they want. Do I want to give them everything they want? Yes. Come on now, parents. Would life be a lot easier if you could just give them everything they wanted? Yeah, but would it complicate things? Yes, why? They would become what? Oh, somebody said brats. Somebody said spoiled, entitled. It's there, right? You know what? God wants to give you good gifts. God wants to give you all the answers. God wants things to be perfect in your life, but he knows that if he just gives you an entitled life, you'd never give your life to him and you would live corrupted and you would live separated from him, not just in this life, but for all eternity. So you know what God did? God said, hey, guess what? We cannot leave Adam and Eve here. This was not a punishment of God. This was a protection of God. And maybe in your life right now, God's saying you can't stay here. Maybe God's saying you can't be in this place anymore. That relationship's not healthy from you. Maybe you're the teenage girl, the college girl. Maybe you're the woman that you've just gone through a divorce or a breakup. Or maybe your heart's shattered as a man and you're wondering why she doesn't love you, why she won't look at you, why she won't talk to you. And you're begging God to bring her back. And God's saying, buddy, I'm getting you out of the garden that'll ruin you. I'm getting you out of the garden that'll make you stay in misery forever. You're not supposed to marry that girl. So I'm going to move you beyond it because you need to stop eating that fruit so you can actually find the tree I have for you. And he said, if they eat of the tree of life, they will live like this forever. And so what's the Bible says? He removes them and then he guards it. And the Bible says in John's account that the tree of life is in heaven today. Write this down, please. God loves you. And you know what God wants? God wants to restore to you what enemy has taken from you. God wants to give back. Isn't that what Job is four times? You know, uh, me and my wife were having the conversation about how, you know, and I think it was Pastor Chris as well, how Job questioned God for 37 chapters and then shut up for three chapters. And then when it came back to Job, Job was like, dude, I was talking about things I didn't know. I take it back. How many of you have ever gone through a season of life complaining the whole time, get to the other side and you're like, oh, that worked out well. That's why God didn't let that happen. How many of you are in a career right now that you love? Because you were fired or you lost or you didn't get the career you wanted. Anybody like that? Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, let's do it. How many of you are married right now to the person of your dreams that you in high school didn't think was the person of your dreams? You didn't even know them. You thought you had the person of your dreams and God's like, break up, here she is. How many of you, here he is. How many of you got that? Raise your hand. Where's the high school lovebirds in here? We hate you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, anyway. <laughs> but the tr- Dusty, Dusty, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you. Did she date other boys while you loved her? Yeah, did that hurt? Yeah. Aren't you glad that God said, I'm going to kick her out of that garden and bring her back to you? Hey, look at your tree of life right there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just Whitney. She's like, no. No, I'm just kidding. No, they, they really do have a great relationship. Is it perfect? No. But is it everything you want? Yeah. I believe we're going to get to a heaven and one day we're going to taste of a fruit. So thank God we didn't get to taste of here. I don't want to stay like this forever. I don't, I, don't, I don't want autism forever. Anybody else in here say there's certain parts of my life? I, how many of you long for the day that cancer is never diagnosed you here again? How many of you long for the day that your fibrosis and all those other things are gone? How many of you long for the day you get out of bed and everything gets out of bed with you? Without being Rice Krispies and Snap, Crackle and Poppin', right? I long for that. But you know what I long for more than anything? Love. I'm thankful God's given me a wife that loves me and kids that love me. But sometimes I even doubt their love, even though it's in abundance. I cannot deny the love of my wife. I've just seen it show up on my worst day and uh, pull me through. Have you seen that, Dusty? Whitney, have you seen that? Whitney, did Dusty date other people besides you? 
Oh, he just chased you down. That don't make you bad, right? But the truth is this, like, huh? I'm, I'm going to call you out again. This is our Facebook live service. You want to come up? I mean, like, this is, <laughs> this is the, the truth is this, like, uh, even though my wife loves me, there's sometimes I, I look at how good she is and feel unworthy, right? And, and, and when we get to heaven, you'll never feel that again. You'll never look around and think, oh, there's Paul. I was not the Christian he was. You know? Oh, there's Jesus. I can't make eye contact because I know what I did yesterday. <laughs> it won't be there. For the first time in your life, you'll not just experience love. You'll live it. Because God has restored it. Do you know in Ephesians 4, it says he, he, he prepared this. God, God saw this before he laid the foundations of the world. He chose you. Heaven was created before this ever even took place. What a beautiful thing. That brings me to point number three. You're going to go to one of two eternal places. You're going to go to one of two eternal places. And that thought should invade everything we do. That thought should dictate all of our behavior. Because the truth is, that's my truth. But it's also yours. It's also our children's. It's their friends. It's our loved ones. It's everybody. Everybody was made to be eternal, number one. Everybody was made for a relationship, number two. It's the greatest desire. But number three, everybody you have ever spoken with will spend eternity in one of two places. Heaven or hell. And if we truly believe that, would that change the way we talk to each other? If we truly believe that, would we be judging sin or would we be rescuing sinners? Would we be saying, hey, do you know what this person did? Or would we more say, do you know what Jesus has done? Do you know that God declared war on your unrighteousness through his son and has conquered the battlefield, has claimed your soul, and has given victory to you and to me? Does the world know that there is love? You don't have to run to the streets. You can run to the throne of God right now and get every bit of it that you need. Oh, how many of you have heard the verse, without a vision, people perish? Can I give you three things? Let's make it four that you've got to get a vision of, that the church needs a revision of. Number one, the cross. We need to know the power of it. What actually happened when God said, it is finished. The earth rocked with the grief of God. The veil tore with the presence of God becoming available. And here's the truth. Sin died. The perfect sacrifice of God became the blemish of the world. So that the broken blemish being sinful, he, he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. The cross screams love. Write this down. You cannot have love without forgiveness and you cannot have forgiveness without love. And the cross gave us both. Father, forgive them 
They don't know what they're doing. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. What a powerful statement. And as we look at that, we're like, oh, that means he died. No, that means he conquered. That means he finished the race, the course of what God wanted to do in his life. He took an undeserved death so that you and I could receive an undeserved grace and an undeserved mercy. And if you've ever been told you're worthless, the cross screams differently. If you've ever been told that you'll never be more than your mistake, your trial, your circumstances, the family that you were born into, the last name that you carry, you'll never be beyond where you were. The cross screams differently. That world says, let him die. The cross says, let them live. The world says, worthless. God says, worthy. The cross is nothing more than God's greatest text of love. As he said, I love I loved you enough that I didn't want eternity without you. I loved you enough that I gave what meant the most to me so that you could have what I have to give. We need a vision of the cross and the power that's there. We need a vision of the empty tomb that tells us we can get back up. That no amount of sin can keep you down. Jesus carried the sins of the world. You carry yours. You're one of 7.4 billion people. You don't carry the sins of the world. You carry your mistakes. And in light of how many mistakes are being made today across 7.4 billion people, you're a very little fraction of it. He carried the weight of not just the ones alive, but the ones that had lived before. And not just the ones that had lived before, but every person that would live forever. He carried the weight of the entire world into that grave and came out. He didn't just conquer your sin. He conquered all sin. And if he can conquer all sin, you can get up from your sin because the grave is empty you can leave your past behind too what a message of truth we need a vision of hell the reality that our loved ones are going there a reality of God did not prepare that place for you and for me matter of fact I'm almost ready to close I'm in my last five minutes so bear with me in Matthew chapter 25. Can we go there, Travis? Can you get there quick? And we're going to go to verse number 34. We find this reality. This is Jesus talking about the final judgment. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Here it is from when? Who was heaven created for? Us. Isn't that an awesome thought? When was it created? When he created the world. Heaven has always been for you. What an awesome thought. Heaven has always been about you. That God formed it for me and for you. Heaven is the place that God designed for us. We need a vision of the fact That before Adam took his first breath, God had heaven in place. Knowing Adam would corrupt it and he would restore it. What a beautiful suit. Understand this. He says, for when I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. 
I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality naked and give you clothing? I mean, when did we ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I promise you, if this is not the heartbeat of your life, this is going to be a real statement. If this is not what you live to do, you do not have the heartbeat of God. Sick can be interpreted sinner, right? Naked can be the person caught in sin. There's a spiritual and literalness to this. Hungry can be the person longing for something more. Thirsty can be the person that's getting drunk on the world but doesn't understand a feeling of the Holy Spirit. And he said, when you saw these people, you cared. I'm telling you right now, the problem with the American church is we do not care. That while we're in the service today and go through this day, hundreds of thousands of people will slip off into eternity. Before this day ends, they will meet their maker or their end. And we don't think that way, do we? Is anybody else like this guilty of getting so focused on this life and who this is that I forget that there's so many other lives? And there's got to come a point in our lives that we get a vision that if we do not care, that our loved ones and even complete strangers are on a one-way track to being separated from God for eternity. Look at verse 41, 42, 41, I'm sorry. I don't think I've cried this much in a while. I got to drink water between these services or I'm going to be dehydrated. The king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire. What did God call that fire? Somebody tell me. What was the word? Say it. Eternal. Say it. The world says that, I even heard theologians, uh, theologians stand in a pulpit and say that the second death is ceasing to exist. No, 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 no. It is eternal, it's eternal, it's eternal. You say, how do you know? Jesus said so. Away with you. You cursed one. With the eternal fire. Right here, great question. If God loves us, why was hell created? Right here. Prepared for who? The devil and his demons. Heaven was created for you. That's what that first part said. Hell was created for who? The devil. It wasn't made for you. God never intended to send anybody to hell. But you know there's a crippling verse in the Bible that says hell enlarges itself daily. You know why hell's enlarging daily? Because the church has lost the focus of what life is all about. We're created for a relationship with God and to introduce other people to that relationship. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And here's point number four. Ready? I close with it. You get to choose which one you go to. The choice is yours. Love gives choices. Here's the cookie. Do you want it? It's created. It's made. It's baked. By the way, if I cooked it, don't eat it. We're talking about salvation made by the Holy Spirit and God through God and what God did and accomplished on the cross and in the tomb, right? Or, do you understand this? Here's the cookie. Eat it. Well, I want the cookie, but I don't, I don't want to stand up in front of everybody and go get that. Isn't that how it is? 
Hey, you know, some of you have been in church your entire life. Your husband, your wife has thought you were saved their entire life, but you know right now sitting right there that you're not, you feel it. I tell people all the time, don't be 99% sure about your eternity. Get 100% assurance because I'm telling you this now, it'd be terrible to stand before God 99% wrong. It'd be terrible for 1% to be the truth. You say, I'm on the edge, and, and you know what? We need to teach assurance of salvation. We need to disciple you in how to grow. You don't lose it every time you mess up. This doesn't fall apart because you can't undo the cross. Please write that down. You can't undo the cross. If you lost it every time, he'd have to die again. And Jesus died for all sin, not just the individual sin, all sin. And has Jesus died again? No. Will he die again? No. Because once was enough when you're the king of kings and you're the champion, you take out the enemy in one swipe. And that's exactly what he did. And Chronicles teaches us he canceled the direct record of wrongs against us. He publicly shamed him. He nailed it to the cross, nailed it to the cross, nailed it to the cross. You say, but I'm weak. Yeah, you are. That's why you got the Holy Spirit. I mess up. Yeah, you do. That's why you got the living word of God. Why is it that we're failing? It's not because we're losing our salvation. We didn't win it. He won it. It's not ours to lose because it wasn't ours to gain. It's a gift and you can't give back what God has given you. And the truth is this, and you say, well, if you're preaching that if you're not sure you're saved, go ahead and get saved. It's not because I want you to keep getting saved. I want you to get saved and start building. I want you to have the moment in your life that you knew you came to God and said, this is it. This is it. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my mind. And the words of my daughter get out of my heart and into my brain. And I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. You get to choose. Do you accept or not? Next week, we'll go into what hell is. Y'all good with that? I never give a preview. So pray for me. I've learned this. Anytime I've taken on demons and study Satan and study or hell and study all hell comes after me. So you pray for me because I want to walk in obedience. I want you to know it's real. You're not playing. It's real. You were made to be eternal. You were made for a relationship with God. There are two places that you will spend your eternity, one of two, and you get to choose which one you go. So today, let me give you a choice. Right where you sit, with heads bowed and eyes closed, examine your heart. Are you a child of God? With your heads bowed and eyes, your eyes closed. I want to I challenge you. Don't think of the works you're doing as the definition of your salvation. That's not it. Matter of fact, in this passage that we were reading, it says, verse number 42, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. What the Bible says, there'll be a day that we stand before God and some people will say, Lord, I testified in your name. I taught I was a children's church teacher. I was a pastor. I was a preacher. I was a small group leader. I worked in restoration ministries. God, I told them all about you. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. 
In Job 42, we find a transition of Job's life, a whole other sermon coming later, where Job, after he had listened to God, makes this statement. Up until now, I had only heard about you. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. You know what he's saying? It's not about what everybody else has told me to believe. It's my belief. It's not what about everybody else is saying I am. It's about what I believe in you that I am. He says, I take back, I sit here in ashes to show you my sorrow. I apologize. 42.2 has been my theme verse of the week. It's been the verse I've been leaning on. I know all things are possible. Nothing is too much for you. I'm paraphrasing it. I just got to quote that to my enemy every time he shows up and tells me it can't happen. Nothing's impossible for my God. Nothing's going to take what God's plan is for my life. But I'm going to tell you this right now. We need a church that answers the question, do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know that you are saved? And if not, I'm going to bring you an invitation, not to me, not to an altar, but to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is madly in love with you and has designed this moment in a divine nature. Divine means God orchestrated your life to put you in this seat today to hear a sermon of his love so that you could give your heart. You are not here by accident. This is the moment that God has waited for to give you a chance at a cookie. I give you a chance at the greatest gift, the salvation he's offered. Will you take it? And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, he's the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It is not about your baptism as a baby. It is not about the church you grew up in. It's not about the confirmation to Catholicism. It's not about what you've done in penance. It's not about any pilgrimage or journey you've taken. It's not about what you do and where you go and what your grandma believed and your daddy believed. It's you. It's you. It's about you. It's a personal gift. God wants your life. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. And he's offering himself to you today. God is saying, I'm a busy God, but not too busy for you. I'm a God of the universe, but still a God of relationship. And I want to lead your life. I want to protect it. I want to guide. I want to shepherd it. I want to make your dreams come true. Will you give me your life? And if today you have not done that, right here, in the intimacy of the moment, would you just talk to God and tell him, I accept it. I give you my heart. I declare you the Lord of my life. Is there anybody here, man, woman, boy, or girl? Hey, listen, I don't care if you're a deacon here or an elder here. I don't care what your position is. This isn't about what people are going to think. This is about you. This is about getting real with you, no matter who you are. Who cares what your wife thinks? Don't go to hell because you're scared of what somebody else is going to think. Care more about what God has to say than anybody else. This is about the most powerful thing in your life, the most powerful moment you ever have. Is there anybody here today that says, today is the day I am giving Jesus my life. This is my salvation moment. This is my salvation day. I'm making my choice. I'm going to heaven. 
Hey, I'm going to tell you this right now. Heaven should not be a bribe that we use to bring you to salvation. Neither should hell be the fear that we use to get you saved. The truth is the love of God is the reason you come. And if you're here today saying, I know he loves me, and I'm saying today, God, I love you back. Is there anybody here today that will declare, this is the day you're making Jesus Lord of your life? Would you proudly slip a hand in the air right where you sit and hold it high? so that we can celebrate today what God is doing in your life. Is there anybody? I'm going to look balcony first. Come on now. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? That's question one of the day. Okay, floor. Anybody down here? Say, I'm giving Jesus my life. All right, I'm going to assume everybody has. Anybody here say, I know I'm saved. Slip your hand up in the air. I know I've got that. All right, cool. Awesome. Hold that hand high. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. Jesus is Lord of my life. Matter of fact, let's give that to him. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Let's tell him that right now. He's Lord of your life. All right, awesome. Awesome. Here it is. Ready? 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 The greatest and last command he gave us was go tell somebody. What is it? The last command before he ascended, go into all the world. The greatest command is love God and love others. The last command is go tell somebody. Anybody slip a hand in the air with me that says this, break my heart, God, for a lost and dying world that needs a message of you. Would you slip a hand in the air if that's you? Break my heart, God, for a lost and dying world I need you. Help me not get distracted by these things, but to pursue you. So let's, let, let's put hell on notice that we are coming after the children of God that are orphaned that need to know they've been adopted. We're going to get the word out. So stand with me. Grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. As we close this service today, and I'm 10 minutes over time, so I really need your help. If you'll pick up your trash as you leave it, don't leave stuff. Leave it in a way as when somebody else is coming in that they're not going to be distracted by something. Instead, they'll be able to to connect with what God has for them. Will you pray today as we go into a second service that we don't go into a ritual or a repetitive nature? All right? That as we step into this, if you're watching online and you accepted Christ today, by the way, if you did that online today, we want you to reach out. 865-312-2335. You'll have to leave a voicemail today, but somebody's going to get back to you. We want to help disciple you and grow you. If you're a child of God that's answering that call saying, I'm going to go tell somebody, reach out. Let's, let's come together. We're a kingdom. I don't care what church you go to. It's not about the church you attend. It's about the kingdom you belong to. Let's work together to get the gospel out. But today, would you pray that as we go into the next service that we won't just regurgitate, that we'll be obedient to the Holy Spirit as to the need of that room, what he needs to do and wants to do there. And today I went old school. I got away from writing in my tablet, and I do that because I have found that these will get destroyed, but I can save to the cloud, and my kids will never lose my sermons. And, and I've shared that with y'all so many times. That's, that's the one thing I want willed to my kids is the things that God has taught their dad. It's the most valuable thing we can leave behind. So I'm trying to preserve that. Um, and, and, and today, God took me in a throwback. And, and, and I, I broke out the Bible that my wife gave me on our wedding day. And uh, there's a lot of symbolism in this for me today. Because I think the church has gotten away from the root of what church was created for. And that's to reach the lost people with the good news. So pray as we go into this next service. Would you do that with us? All right. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word and your truth. I pray that it didn't fall on deaf ears. I pray that it won't be soon forgotten. I pray that as we go to the restaurants or to the family gatherings that we're going to this, this day, 
We'll have a heartbeat for the people that we're coming in contact with. That we won't get so bent out of shape over the water in our cup or the soda in our cup that we fail to realize that the testimony we give to that waiter and that waitress is going to impact their soul. So God, help me. And I'm sorry how many times I've gotten so messed up in building my kingdom that I forgot about yours. I cannot leave this moment without being totally grateful for the salvation you've given me. God, help me not be selfish with it. I pray you'll bring a conviction in our lives to love Jesus and to share Jesus like we've never had before. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.